Just making a resolution to get in shape won't get you in shape. Fight the battle of the holiday bulge at Retro Fitness. Retro's got huge workout areas, custom equipment, a cardio theater, a Retro Blend Smoothie Cafe, personal training, tanning, and live classes. Check out Retro's New Year special. Join now when there's no enrollment fee. Then it's just $19.99 a month for life. Hurry, offer ends January 15th. Retro Fitness. We get offer available at participating locations only. Processing fees may apply. It's got a smoothie bar, right? Well, good morning. My name's Phil. Uh, how many of you have seen commercials like that in the past around this time of year, right? It's kind of common. We come to the end of one year, we start looking ahead to the next year, and people start to think about what they want to do in the new year. They start to think about losing that 20 pounds, maybe getting off the, the extra Christmas cookies that you enjoyed. And uh, it's, kind of, it's kind, of, kind of the normal thing, right? People start to think about New Year's resolutions, uh, things that, that we look back over the last year and we say, you know, what went well? What didn't go so well? What do we want to do differently in the new year? We start to set some goals, things you want to accomplish in your, in your home, in your marriage, in, with your kids, with health issues, at work, education goals, lots of goals, New Year's resolutions. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of doing that. I'm kind of a kind of a goals-driven kind of guy. I kind of enjoy having lots of goals to work on. Uh, but you know, there is one area in our lives where we are most likely to overlook in goals setting, and that, uh, that is our spiritual lives. See, we'll, we'll plan to lose 20 pounds. We'll plan to run a marathon, pay off debt, go back to school, uh, take a vacation, and on and on it goes. But for some reason, we often think that our spiritual lives will just kind of magically improve somehow, right? Some of that is just plain laziness on our part. Some of it is that we, we don't really know how to diagnose our spiritual health. We don't always know how to really effectively assess it. So you go to a doctor and you get a physical, right? And he or she is going to go through a, a standard set of, of tests. The doctor's going to ask you a bunch of questions. Uh, and in the end, when the tests are all back, the blood work is done, he should be able to look at you and say, you know, here's what's going well. Here's what, here's what needs improvement. But what does that look like with our spiritual health? We're just sometimes not sure how to look at our spiritual health and say, what's going well? and what is not going well. And that's what we're going to do today. So this is, uh, this is not going to be a typical mosaic style sermon. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, here at the end of the year, beginning of the new year, together we are going to diagnose our spiritual health. This is like the annual checkup minus the rubber gloves. All right, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to ask 10 questions that will help you diagnose your spiritual health. Health, And my hope is that by the end of this time, you're going to have some things that you'll be able to look out to for the next year and know some areas that you want to step into, to work on in your own life. Things, things, some of these things are going to jump right out at you. Some of them you're just going to hear it and you're going to go, yep, I need to work on that one. That's definitely one I need to jump into. Be listening for that and be open for the, the Spirit of God showing you some of those things that need to become a priority in your life in 2016. Now, before we get into this, I want to make one disclaimer. I want to give credit where credit is due. The idea for this sermon came from a book by a writer named Donald Whitney. Uh, so the 10 questions are based on his 10 questions. So that no one can accuse me of plagiarism, I want to make this clear. 
I'm plagiarizing his 10 questions. Just want to make that up front. No one can sue me over that. Very good. So this is, now this is not like the audio book version of Donald Whitney's book. Okay, that's not what we're doing here. Uh, the questions are his. The rest is mine. Okay, let's make that clear. All right, now we're going get, to get that legal disclaimer out of the way. Let's open in prayer, and then we're going to jump into these 10 questions. Father God, thank you so much for uh, another day that we are alive and breathing and can open up your word to study it together. Thank you that we can do that together as a community, because we know that when we come together as your followers of Christ, that your spirit is here with us, and we are ready and desiring to hear from that spirit, to be sensitive to the spirit's leading. And so we ask that you would do that in our hearts today as we jump into your word. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I want you to try to think back to one year ago about this time and think about your spiritual life. What did it look like? What were the rhythms of your days? What were the rhythms of your, your weeks, your months? How would you have kind of, if you had to rate it, it's horrible, but if you could rate it, the overall health of your relationship with God? Just think about that one year ago. How did that look one year ago? Now, think about today and ask yourself this question. Has anything changed? Has anything changed? Gotten worse? Improved? Was this even a question on your radar one year ago? Would you even have thought to ask this question one year ago? Or is this perhaps the first time this idea has ever crossed your mind? setting goals related to your spiritual health. See, a lot of times we want to measure our spiritual health, uh, and when we do so, we look at a few very measurable things, right? Uh, we look at the things that can kind of be somehow like put on some sort of a spreadsheet, right? Uh, how often did I read the Bible, right? That's an obvious one. A lot of people jump there. How many times a week, whatever it might be. Uh, how often did I pray, was I active at church? We, we're going to look oftentimes for those really obviously measurable things. But when we talk about our spirituality, see, we're not looking at a balance sheet for a business here, right? This is not how it works. It's more like looking at a, a, a work of art that is in process and trying to figure out how it's going. You can't, you can't quantify a work of art with a few numbers, Right? You can't like measure a work of art. It's, more, it's just way more complicated than that. And so our spiritual lives are, are more like works of art that the Holy Spirit is creating in and through us, participating in our growth. And so we have to ask different kinds of questions to get the answers that we need. So we're going to get into this. One of the most important questions we're going to ask here boils down to desire. And so the first of 10 questions that I want to ask together as we diagnose our spiritual health is this. Do you thirst more? Do you thirst for God more now than you did one year ago? Do you thirst for God more now than you did one year ago? So my wife and I just spent a week in Colorado at 9,200 feet above sea level. Just for comparison, okay, um, my home here in Florida is 161 feet above sea level, according to whatismyelevation.com, because that's you know, what you would do. You would look for that. Um, man, it was dry, and we fought altitude sickness, and headaches. I've never drank so much water in one week as I did 
during that week at 9,200 feet above sea level in Colorado. I noticed the difference in my thirst for water, right? Like I, like I physically noticed it. As you look back over the last year, have you noticed a difference in your thirst for God? Where do you quench that thirst? Where do you quench that spiritual thirst? Do you thirst at all? Psalm 42 says that as the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In another psalm, uh, another place in the Psalms, uh, we read, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you thirst for God more now than you did a year ago, six months ago, a month ago? You see, it's, it's one thing to, um, to, to jump into your devotions because uh, that's a, just a, a part of your day. But it's another thing to say, I can't wait, I can't wait to spend some time with God this morning. Do you see that difference, right? Like, imagine if I said to my wife, um, you know, it's been a while since we've been on a date. Probably ought to go on one, huh? It's been a little while. Was that my wife that did that? (laughs) For the record, I take my wife out on dates. But, you know, imagine if I said that, right? That's a little different than saying, hey, listen, I planned a night away for us this weekend. I got someone to watch the kids overnight. I got a hotel room. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to have you all to myself. Do you see the difference, right? (laughs) A little different, right? But oftentimes in our spiritual lives, as we approach even something as daily as our devotions, it can become like that, right? Guess I ought to do this been a little bit, right? Okay. Do you thirst for God? It's about desire. You can't check desire off on a list. It can't be checked off on a list. Do you thirst for God, desire God more now than you did one year ago? Okay, question number two. Is your life guided increasingly by God's word? Is your life guided increasingly by God's word? 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Is your life guided increasingly by God's word? We need God's word in our lives. That should be obvious to anybody who's a Christ follower. But see, in order to be guided by God's word, we have to actually be in it. We have to actually know some Bible in order to be guided by it. You have to actually read it, or at least listen to it, like on your phone, whatever, in order to be guided by it. Well, what does that look like for you? Is it non-existent as we assess our spiritual health together? Is it haphazard? Like it just kind of happens whenever you maybe think of it. Maybe it crossed your mind, maybe it's been a month, maybe it's been two months. Or is it intentional? You have a plan. You know, uh, if you are rarely in Scripture outside of Sunday morning, like this is kind of when you're in it, uh, or maybe in a Bible study, if that's you, I really want to challenge you to make a plan in this next year. 
to actually be intentional about it. Make a plan this week. Put it in your calendar. Tell others about it so that they'll hold you accountable. See, it's not enough to just say, you know, I want to be guided by God's word more in this next year, so I'm going to spend some more time in it. It's not enough to just say that. If that's where you stop, you've already lost. You've already lost. It's not going to happen. You might as well just quit now. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be intentional. Um, God really convicted me of this about 10 years ago. Um, I was a pastor then, and I just want to make this clear. As a pastor, about 10 years ago, I went through a phase where, truthfully, outside of preparing for a sermon, I just wasn't in Scripture a whole lot. I just want to make that confession that that can happen to pastors too. And, and God really convicted me of this. Um, I was a, a couple of years out of seminary, and I think I was kind of just running on the fumes of, of seminary in my life, and, and, uh, and, and I was on the last of those fumes, and God convicted me of this. And on a, I, I, so I, I went away, and I spent some time really praying about this and asking God for direction on how to kind of get that pathway back in. And, um, and what I did is I set an unattainable goal for my lifestyle. I decided I was going to read the, the whole Bible in one year. Has anyone ever tried that? Okay, now I'm sure that some of you have done it and it's awesome and you loved it and that's great. Um, it, it wasn't great for me. So I got the one year Bible reading plan, you know, and I, I got it all set up in my calendar and day one went really well. <laughs> day two was a bit of a struggle, but I got through it. Then I missed a couple days because I was super busy. Then I got behind, then I felt guilty. Then I tried to catch up by reading like a ton of the Bible as fast as I possibly could, which is, you know, super helpful. Um, <laughs> kind of defeats the whole purpose of meditating on God's word, right? Like you can't speed up meditation. There's no way to do that. Uh, within a month, I was so far behind that I just gave up altogether and I just kind of wallowed in the fact that I wasn't in scripture a whole lot. So look, if, if the Bible in a year thing works for you, God bless you, that's awesome. It does not work for me. Just did not work for me. I got nothing out of scripture when I was just reading it to get done with my assignment for that day. So I backed it up and I started looking at, at two-year Bible reading plans. Okay, maybe two years is good. And I realized, you know, I mean, I could do this, I could keep up with this, but it's not gonna leave any time to, you know, jump over to a passage that wasn't assigned for that day and read that instead or, or, or jump into a book that would help me understand the Bible better. So then I finally found a three-year Bible reading plan and then I tweaked it for kind of my normal rhythms of life and I've stuck with it for 10 years. I'm serious. Like I've stuck, it's been 10 years that I've been doing this, right? Like Literally, no, sorry, did you think I meant that I stretched the three-year Bible reading plan? I'm like, that wasn't a laugh moment. That wasn't, you're not supposed to laugh there. Now I understand that I miscommunicated. Okay, three-year Bible reading plan. I've done it three times. I'm going to make that clear. So I'm on my fourth rotation of the three-year Bible reading plan, and it's been great. It's been really good. Thank you. I appreciate the affirmation. Um, but it, you know, this works for me because it allows me to jump into a lot of different things. Here's my point. Um, it keeps me in the Word of God, the whole Word of God, right? So I can't go like 10 years without realizing I haven't read Lamentations, you know? Um, 
Uh, but it, it gives you a chance to jump into all these different things and, 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 and be able to spend time in all of God's Word, and it's manageable. I can actually stop and think and pray as I read Scripture. I can put down the Bible and jump into something else that helps me understand it. I've got it right in my calendar. It's on my phone. It's on my computer. It just works for me, and it's worked for me over the long haul. Now, look, here's the deal. Find something that works for you if you don't already have something. Just, just find something. Now, if you're one of those people who says, you know, I've just never been much of a reader. Just never been much of a reader. I hear that a lot, actually. That's not a good excuse when it comes to God's Word. You can, like, skip the latest novel that's, you know, sweeping the nation because you're not a good reader. That's fine. But here's the deal. You can download the audio Bible on your phone in like 15 seconds flat. So you can at least listen to it and then hit pause and and think and pray and listen again if that's what you need to do. Do that. Just let, find a way that is going to get you into God's word and let it guide your life more in this next year. Okay, question number three. This is another one that is hard to measure. Are you more loving than you were one year ago? Are you more loving than you were one year ago? Now, this one hurts for me a little bit because I'll just be honest with you here. I can be a bit of a jerk at times. Um, I'm not always the most loving person in the world. Uh, As a result, uh, this is a really good way for me to diagnose my spiritual health. This is you know, this is the canary in the coal mine for me because for me personally, there is a direct connection between my current spiritual health and my ability to act in a loving way. When I find myself getting cynical with people, getting annoyed with people really easily, snapping at my kids or my wife too quickly, I can almost always trace it back to the fact that I'm not terribly close with Jesus at that moment. On my own, I am not very loving. Jesus tells us in John 13 to to love one another as I have loved you. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know what's crazy is there are at least 20 idiot-proof passages in Scripture about loving one another. Think of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, just noise, right? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is kind of essential, and it's a pretty key way that we can diagnose our spiritual health. See, what we're doing here with these questions is we're looking for the red flags in our spiritual health. If you have chest pains, it could be stress, or it could be a heart attack waiting to happen, right? It's a red flag. We're looking for everyday things in our lives that indicate our relationship with Jesus and what it looks like right now. Are you more loving than you were one year ago? Man, I hate that question. Okay. Question number four. Are you more sensitive to God's presence? 
There's this great scene in Genesis 28 uh, where Jacob has his famous Jacob's Ladder dream. And at the end of the dream, uh, I love what he says. He says in, in Genesis 28, 16, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. You ever feel like that? Like you're having a hard time being sensitive to God's presence, his work, his spirit's leading? You ever experienced a time in your life where you were really sensitive to it? And then you experienced a time where you weren't as sensitive to it? And so you knew the difference? Do you know that difference in your life? When you're sensitive to God's leading, experiencing God's presence, and then not? Spiritually healthy Christians are more likely to see God's work around them. You see it in nature, in, in, in personal worship, with your kids, with your family, in prayer, even singing here at church, at work, whatever, wherever you are, you are more likely to notice God when you are putting yourself in his way. When you are in tune with the Spirit, there's a difference. See, you can't check this one off a list either, can you? I sensed God's presence today. Check. It doesn't work that way, right? I was sensitive to the Spirit's leading today. Check. It just, it just doesn't work that way, right? But if you experienced it in the past, and then suddenly you say, gosh, I don't remember the last time that I really sensed God's presence and leading in my life. It's possible that God has you in the wilderness for a season, or it's possible that you've grown apart. It's another red flag. It's another thing to look at. Are you more sensitive to God's presence? Okay, number five. Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and practical needs of others? When you look around at people, do you care about them more now than you used to? Let's say a neighbor moves into your, your neighborhood across the street. <coughs> do you think, I wonder, if, I wonder if they're Christ followers. Maybe I can be the light of the gospel in their lives. Or do you think, gosh, I hope they take care of their lawn better than the last people. <laughs> Those weeds are blowing onto my yard. It's driving me crazy. When a friend loses their job, do you, do you pat them on the back and say, good luck, bro. I'll be praying for you. Or do you say, hey, are there, are there needs? Like, did you get a severance package? Are you going to be able to buy groceries? What can we do to help? Are you more concerned for the spiritual and practical needs of others? Uh, there's a family here at Mosaic that I know well, and it's been fun watching them learn what it means to live fearlessly. And, and the, the husband was sharing with me a story from a few weeks ago where uh, he was, his family was wanting to help out another family in need financially. And, um, and so the, the whole family had planned to go out to the movies on a Friday night, and um, and then last minute they decided to just take that hundred bucks that they would have spent on tickets and popcorn and whatever else and instead just give it to the other family in need. And why did they do that? Because as their faith grows, they have a growing concern for the spiritual and practical needs of others. It's natural. When our, when our hearts are more closely aligned with God, uh, we are more sensitive to that. But when our spiritual health is low, it's easy to become calloused to the needs around us. 
this last week, the number of migrants and refugees pouring into Europe from Syria passed the one million mark. One million in one year. That's the highest rate since World War II. Now, putting aside the political minefield that surrounds this issue, do you recognize that these are human beings created in the image of God? I have several missionary friends that are serving this population in Europe, and they tell me that Muslims are coming to Christ faster than we have ever seen in human history, in part due to this refugee crisis. The refugee crisis is creating an openness to the gospel. This is a historic moment for the gospel. But do you know what I hear from my Christian brothers being way more concerned about the political issues involved? Do you have a growing concern for the spiritual and practical needs of others? John 2, 15, 16 says that if a brother or sister has no clothes, no food, and you say, be warm and well-fed, but you don't give them food or clothing, how have you helped them? How have you helped them? Does your heart ache when you see a need that you might be able to meet? The heart of God is for his creation, for mankind created in his image. The closer our hearts are to his, the more we too will be concerned about the spiritual and practical needs of others. It's a natural outflow of being near God. All right, we're halfway there. Let's go on to the sixth question as we diagnose our spiritual health. Do you still love being with other followers of Christ? Okay, now I might be a little bit biased here as a pastor, but I have found again and again that a very early indicator that things are going sideways in a person's life is that they stop showing up at church or at their missional community or whatever group they're a part of. They stop showing up. 1 John 3.14 says that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the other followers of Christ. There's no concept in Scripture of a follower of Christ doing it all on their own. When Jesus called you to himself, he also called you to the community of Christ followers, the church. But you see, what the enemy wants you to do is to isolate yourself away from other followers of Christ so that he can get to you without a fight. So you can step into the, the darkness of this world. You can go into dangerous places and be safer when you are with others, right? It's when you're all alone in the darkness that you get into trouble. We need each other desperately. You cannot do this alone. You are not strong enough on your own. You individually, sitting there in your individual chair, you are not the church. We, together, are the church. It's in isolation that we slip away from God. It's in isolation that our spiritual health suffers. It's in isolation that we become more open to the little sinful patterns that become big sinful patterns. It's in isolation that the enemy pounces and devours. <clears throat> Do you love being with other followers of Christ? 
such a critical test in our spiritual lives. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. We are all a bunch of sinners on journey towards Jesus. We're going to get, we're going to say stupid things to each other. We're going to offend each other. We're going to need to apologize. It's not always going to be easy, but when it's good, it's really good. When it's good, the body of Christ is a little picture of what heaven will be like one day. So let's fight for that. Let's fight for each other. Don't be afraid to send a text to that friend of yours that you know you haven't seen at church in like three months. And just be like, hey, are you okay? Everything all right? There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's what we're here for with each other. It's what we're designed to do with each other. When you find yourself avoiding your fellow Christ followers, preferring to stay home, you are in deep water without a life jacket. And it's a red flag warning. Now, let's move on to number seven. Are the spiritual disciplines becoming more important to you? Are the spiritual disciplines becoming more important to you? Now, if I asked this question a year ago, uh, many of you would be thinking, what are the spiritual disciplines? Is that like some kind of punishment? What is that? But over the last year, we've been introducing the spiritual disciplines into our weekly rhythms in our gatherings, beginning to model that in our gathered spaces so that you can also then add them into your scattered spaces, right? So we, we do that together. We've been adding that in in a lot of our gatherings here. <clears throat> and so if you call Mosaic home, if you've been here for even a few months, uh, then you can, you can probably, hopefully, truthfully say, yes, the spiritual disciplines are becoming more important to me because you keep inserting them into the services for us. So they're just naturally becoming a part of our lives. Stated simply, the spiritual disciplines are some of the ways that God gives us to bring ourselves before him, to experience him, and to become more Christ-like. The spiritual disciplines are us going after God. You going after God intentionally. You know, I, I was looking at Facebook this week and I noticed that, um, I noticed that I have almost 1,500 friends listed there. I don't have 1,500 friends. I just want to make that clear. No one does. No one has time for 1,500 friends, right? It's, it's just Facebook. It's just silly. Some friendships are like Facebook friends, right? You know them, you run into them every now and then, you click like on their family Christmas picture because you knew them in college, whatever, right? You have no intention of pursuing that friendship, cultivating that friendship, working on that friendship. And then with other friends, you call them, you talk to them, you get together with them intentionally. They're important. The spiritual disciplines like prayer, fasting, solitude, silence, scripture reading, journaling, many more. These are intentional acts of pursuing our relationship with God. This is us going after God. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The spiritual disciplines help us to pursue our friendship with God. Now, if this is an area of weakness for you, uh, don't try to add them all, all at once, right? Step into one. Say, all right, I'm going to work on one of them for the beginning of the year. See how that goes. And let me add another one in, layer another one in. You can't rush the spiritual disciplines 
any more than you can rush getting to know a person. But the spiritual disciplines are a pathway to intentionally going after God, pursuing God. So let's keep growing in this as a church. Number eight, do you still grieve over sin? When we first come to Christ, we, we really grieve over our sin. We cry real tears knowing that we need salvation, especially those of you that came to Christ uh, later in life. Unlike me, I was a kid in Sunday school. I didn't, I didn't had a chance to do stuff that maybe would line up on the big chart there, right? But what happens after that determines the degree to which we continue to grow, continue to become more Christ-like. One of my professors in seminary used to say that the closer one comes to Christ, in one sense, the more miserable he becomes. Now, I don't entirely agree with that. It's a horrible, negative approach. But I do agree with him a little bit in this, in this way. Um, what he really meant was that the more we come to the perfect, spotless Son of God, the closer we come to that perfection, the more we see that we are not perfect, the more we see that we are not spotless. And so, while it's true, as the apostle says, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's true, and yet when we look in the mirror and we see our sin, grieving is helpful. Grieving our sin is helpful. We, we want to feel that weight long enough to want to get down on our knees and ask for forgiveness. We want to feel that weight long enough to drive us to repentance. And then recognize that we don't have to carry that weight. That it's not our burden. Grieve for your sin for a moment. Long, just long enough to want to become more Christ-like. To let the Spirit of God root that sin out of you more and more. But then rest in your forgiveness if you are a Christ follower. I love how the Apostle Paul deals with this kind of reality of, of grieving and yet also resting in God's forgiveness. He deals with this in 2 Corinthians 7. Um, he had said some hard words to the Corinthians in a previous letter. Their egos got a little bit bruised. And so now in 2 Corinthians 7, he says, you know, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by any of us. He goes on, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. He says, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. You see, there's a godly grieving over sin that leads to greater spiritual health. Let's not ever think that we've arrived in that. Okay, now we can't talk about grieving over sin without also talking about forgiveness. And so question nine is this. Mark eleven twenty five warns us that when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. 
And so we need to talk about forgiveness. Do you forgive more readily than you used to? Do you forgive more readily than you used to? If you are a Christ follower today, you owe your lives, your very salvation, to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so too, our lives should be marked by forgiveness. How hypocritical it would be to accept the forgiveness of Jesus and then hold our forgiveness of others. If you're breathing in this world, you will have chances every day to be offended by somebody, to be hurt, to be wronged by someone. Some of you have been hurt very deeply. You carry deep, deep wounds around with you. And those wounds may never fully go away on this side of heaven. But we can do the hard work of forgiveness. And as we grow in maturity and spiritual health, we ought to be able to forgive quicker. See, when you hold your forgiveness, bitterness begins to take root in your heart and soul and it destroys you. It makes you miserable and potentially it makes everyone around you miserable as well. Withholding your forgiveness often hurts you more than it hurts those around you often hurts you more than it hurts the person that actually hurt you. Forgiving quickly is one of the best and greatest expressions of the gospel that we as humans get to do. Think of the last time that you hurt someone. Did you know you hurt them? Yeah, you, you probably realized it pretty quickly. You probably knew pretty quick. Maybe you said sorry right away. Maybe circumstances kept you from doing so. Maybe, maybe you stressed about it for days or weeks. Maybe you worried about the repercussions of that wound that you caused. You wondered what was going to happen as a result. Or maybe, just maybe, the person that you hurt forgave you so quickly that there was no time for any of that. And you were both able to move on to more important things. See, that's the gospel in action. We forgive just as we were forgiven. I want to encourage you this next year to root out any unforgiveness in your heart and to do all that you can to work through it and to let it go. Don't let another year go by with you carrying those heavy bags of unforgiveness around with you all day. Let the gospel step into that. It's exhausting carrying those bags. Aren't you tired of being upset with someone that hurt you a long time ago? You're only really hurting yourself at this point. Let's let this next year be the year that you come to grips with that one. All right, we've come to the last question to diagnose our spiritual health. And it looks ahead to our future as Christ followers, and the question is this. Do you long for heaven and to be with Jesus? You know, many here at Mosaic are quite young. Um, we're busy with kids and careers and friends and houses. Many in this room have more years ahead of them than they have behind them. We can find ourselves enjoying all the good things that there are to be enjoyed in this world. We can find ourselves enjoying all that God's creation offers us. We just finished Christmas, and you know, if you've got little kids in your house, Christmas morning with little kids is just awesome. You see their excitement and their wonder. You see the anticipation in the weeks leading up to it. The joy 
that they express. That's, a, that's good times. Cuddling up with your kids in front of the fireplace channel. <laughs> that's good stuff, right? I mean, if I'm being honest, I kind of want to enjoy a little bit more time here. I kind of have some things I still want to enjoy here. I long for heaven, but I kind of long for it like 20 years out. But with each passing year, as the the corruption of the world becomes more obvious, as you lose more hope in mankind and its sinful state, and you cling more to the gospel and the forgiveness of Christ, you do begin to long more and more for Jesus. You begin to long more and more for heaven. Wherever you are on that spectrum, you'll find that the more that you understand the God that is revealed in Scripture, and the more that you realize that an eternity spent face to face with him and his son is far better than anything, anything that we could experience now on this earth. But if this is all you have, this planet, this life, if this is your only perspective and it ends with these 80 or 90 years, you will not long for heaven. You will not long for Jesus because this is all you've got. But it doesn't have to be that way because the gospel is that Jesus steps into our lives and saves us and gives us new hope. Whether you are enjoying the good things of this world or, or counting the days until heaven, here's one thing that we all need to know that while we are on this earth, we actually do have a job to do. We actually do have work that we've been called to. Philippians 1, 21 and 23 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, it's natural to be torn. Paul had the best perspective. Did he long for heaven? Yes. Did he long to be with Jesus? Yes. Did he recognize that he had a job to do? Yes. See, it would be easy to think as we diagnose our spiritual health that our spiritual lives are are really just for our own benefit, maybe for our family's benefit. But that's not the full picture. Our spiritual health allows us to be more effective for Jesus during the years that we have on this planet. I didn't start exercising until I was 35 years old. And one of the things that drove me to it was that I didn't like being out of breath when I played with my kids, right? Like I was like, man, I'm 35 and I'm out of breath going up these steps. This is horrible. And so I, I drove myself to start exercising in part because I wanted to be healthy for my kids. I wanted to be a better dad to my kids. The same is true in our spiritual lives. When we are healthy spiritually, we are better neighbors. We are better employees. We're better citizens. We're better parts of Mosaic Church. We're better soccer coaches. We're better moms and dads. We're better Christ followers because our spiritual health allows us to more effectively speak and live the gospel with everything that we do. So let's pursue that in 2016. It's a new year. 
You get to wipe the slate clean, maybe, a little. Let's make 2016 a more spiritually healthy year for all of us. Let's close. Father God, thank you that you loved us enough to step into our lives when we had no hope. Thank you that you don't leave us where you found us, but that you give us your spirit who steps into our hearts and souls and guides us. God, I pray that we would listen to that voice. I pray that we would continue to pursue Christ-likeness in our lives, in every area of our lives. God, let these 10 questions be a tool that we can use to grow closer to you and to be more spiritually healthy. We pray all these things in your name and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.